team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds your breath, Ann Arbor, as the bar gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! cultures of all the people all over the world. If you hear uh, like you think the ones on what do you call it music at the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music if we had good music playing for people in the happy society on the streets, you know? I feel like uh, my music uh, I have a new record coming out. Or it's like well maybe this time they'll hear it. But uh, I dare say that there are no parades, no marching bands, and no flag-waving for diplomacy. <laughs> and this is an example of diplomacy working. I think that there's no question that the threat of force succeeded. And I think that we should commend uh, what's happened here. Um, this has always been the way to go. It avoids, uh, as I've, I've uh, my skepticism of getting involved in Syria, and of course I'm talking about Syria here, um, is the fact that we've never been involved in Syria before. At least the United States hasn't. Obviously, Western imperialism has, and this is part of the 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 problem. But for uh, <clears throat> Assad to acknowledge that he has chemical weapons, and for them to come up with a uh, program through the United Nations and through multilateral um, 
nation uh, destruction of these weapons, I think that this is a great success. And while all of the fine print, I think, remains still a little murky, uh, there seems to be a plan here. And I think that it's fascinating to see how the Republican Party is, is sort of boxed in now. Um, Obama actually can claim he doesn't have to follow through with any threat of force, since it was quite obvious that he didn't have the votes in Congress, at least in the House of Representatives, uh, to initiate this action. So it's interesting that the speech obviously had to be modified, sort of on the fly, and I think that's a good thing. And yet there's this kind of Council of Foreign Relations, um, Washington punditocracy, that is critiquing uh, the muddled policy of the Obama administration. Well, maybe it's just because they haven't really seen an example in so long of what used to be called statecraft. Yes. And this is where you deliberate, you negotiate, you discuss, you analyze, you examine. Uh, you take that pause before committing rashly to uh, dangerous and foolhardy uh, adventures, which uh, the, the W administration, I'm the decider, uh, he was all too eager to do. And of course, uh, you know, sort of postulated down here that this is possibly even just rhetoric, that Obama maybe even has no real intention to strike, but by saying it out loud that it's an option that is being considered, uh, that puts pressure on and makes the wheels start to turn. Uh, for uh, the time lag that the deliberation allowed, um, you know, to try and present a case to Congress and so forth, it actually gave the United Nations uh, inspection team a chance to prove on the ground beyond mere assertion uh, that, in fact, sarin gas had been used. Yeah. Of course, during the uh, ill-advised Bush wars, we had all these nebulous references and an uh, actual vial of phony anthrax held up in the United Nations. So uh, the credibility of the United States was destroyed, uh, you'd think, once and for all or for the umpteenth time. But here we have seen that, okay, deliberation, statecraft, this is how uh, it's another way to get things done. It takes a little longer, a little clunkier sometimes. But as you say, it doesn't really get any flag waving or parades, but it works. And the other thing that I find interesting is the historical context of uh, involvement. Um, it's interesting that the previous uh, war that was that that had the actual least uh, approval of the use of force was the Kosovo action uh, mm -hmm. during the Clinton administration. There's a very interesting poll piece uh, by Charles M. Blow. I've always been unclear whether it's Blow or Blau, but uh, I haven't heard him on the radio. Uh, he writes, he has a regular column on Saturdays in the New York Times that usually is connected to a commentary connected to polling data. Uh, of course, polling data is not always, uh, is, is sometimes out of whack with, with policy ideas, because uh, if you looked at polling data before the start of World War II, uh, it was probably overwhelmingly Americans were still opposed to getting involved in World War II. Obviously, Pearl Harbor changed minds quickly. Um, and it's qu quite well established that Roosevelt, uh, during World War II, uh, was working behind the scenes quite effectively, I might add, in supporting both the British and um, Russians with Lend-Lease 
and other uh, various forms of military aid as well as uh, escorting vessels and that sort of thing. But it's interesting that uh, in uh, before the Kosovo uh, Balkans bombing, only 51% approved of the policy that Clinton was uh, going to proceed with versus a 45% disapproval. And obviously the Syrian situation was <laughs> much less support. Uh, from the August 31st edition, the NBC News poll showed uh, that only 42% of American people approved of taking military action and 50% were opposed. Some polls showed even further um, disapproval than those numbers. But I think that Kerry, John Kerry, the Secretary of State, and Barack Obama have outlined quite clearly to the public. I, in fact, I don't find the policy muddled at all. Yeah, there are problems with Obama issuing a red line statement a, a little over a year ago, but uh, they've made it quite clear that this is not going to be a war per se, um, but, uh, you know, cruise missiles. No boats on the ground. How clear can that be? And I think that Obama uh, wisely in his speech to the American people on Tuesday night pointed out that uh, he, ag he agreed with the basic concept that Congress should take a vote. Now, Congress was able to <clears throat> dodge a bullet, much like Assad was able to dodge the cruise missiles. But the facts are the facts. We have at least um, a plan underway uh, that may uh, result in no American military involvement in Syria, other than to the extent that we're supporting this hodgepodge group of rebels. Obviously, John McCain and Lindsey Graham, who have been calling for war in Syria for quite a number of months now, are disappointed. They want, Amer they want America to go into Syria with boots on the ground. Yeah, in fact, John McCain was uh, shockingly there on Memorial Day in the Middle East trying to drum up support for a U.S. Uh, attack on Syria. But I got to quickly say, uh, in a rare moment of defending John McCain, that a couple of weeks ago when Congress had begun to discuss and consider uh, the red line statement and the military option, uh, McCain caught some flack in the media for uh, during one of the sessions. He was uh, photographed or filmed playing a online poker game on his like smartphone or something. Was this visible in his space helmet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had one of those uh, face screen projector uh, units. No, there's a shot of him uh, holding, you know, discreetly holding a cell phone sort of down in his lap as he looks down like so many people do in boring meetings. Uh, and while John McCain deserves criticism and abuse for uh, a host of reasons, uh, in this particular context, uh, he'd already made his mind up. He was in favor of even going so far as boots on the ground. So I'm going to cut John McCain some slack for playing uh, video poker while in session. He had already reached a conclusion. Right. Uh, whether or not I agree with that conclusion is beside the point. I don't believe he deserved that sort of scorn. Well, that's uh, undoubtedly what the Soviet ambassador was doing in the war room <laughs> in the movie Dr. Strangelove. Oh, partying, yes. <laughs> he was secretly photographing. <laughs> photographing. Yeah, McCain was undoubtedly photographing in the war room. Speaking of the war situation in Syria, it's very interesting to look at the military situation as of March 13th. Uh, the New York Times um, <clears throat> um, correspondent, 
who actually was reporting from Beirut, uh, Anne Bernard, uh, there's a really good map showing the military complexity of the Syrian situation regarding what parts of Syria the rebels, quote, control and don't control, what's contested, and what is controlled by the government. And it's interesting that the government, the Syrian government, essentially controls the uh, Lebanese border through up to the Mediterranean, down to uh, parts of Jordan, and that there are some contested areas uh, south of Aleppo, and that the rebels at this time, uh, March 13th, essentially controlled the uh, outer regions uh, near the Turkish border, uh, where there also, for the record, are Kurds living, and apparently control the uh, Euphrates River. So, uh, and of course, there's an enormous desert in Syria. It's, it's, it's not, it's a complex ge geographical situation. It's not like Libya, uh, that's mainly sand. <laughs> With a thin strip of populated area along the northernmost uh, edge of Libya. Yeah, and, and the Libyan tribal situation was a little simpler than the complex uh, involvement uh, of you know, there, there, I think even 10% of Syria are actually Christians. Yes. Um, so the Christians are almost as numerous as the so-called Alawite clan. And it's very interesting to note, by the way, that Syria, during the Iraq, both Iraq wars, uh, in the case of Hafez al-Assad, al al uh, Bashir's father, they essentially signed off on our involvement in Iraq. And that, of course, is because of the Ba'athist uh, rivalries uh, mm. that they had with Saddam Hussein. They did not uh, ally themselves, so to speak, with the United States, but they certainly cooperated in covert ways. Um, I think that's quite clear from the historical record. So, uh, you know, I think that there is uh, some... Um, legitimacy to some further investigation into the actual uh, firing of these weapons. I think the, you know, it's, it's conceivable to me that there could be rogue elements within the Syrian military that might have even perpetrated these, these acts. Um, I don't believe Bashar Assad's denials, but I do think that it would be worthy of further investigations because there have been some uh, European, uh, quote, intelligence agencies suggesting that uh, Assad was not behind these these attacks, even though that this is quote controlled by the Syrian military. So it might be worthy of uh, further confirmation that Assad was clearly involved. But the mere fact that he's now acknowledging chemical weapons and uh, seems to be willing to sign the uh, UN Convention on the matter, uh, I think uh, it speaks of another tangible success by the carried diplomacy, which has been ongoing, by the way, for many, many months. The idea that there's been no diplomacy or discussions behind the scene is simply not supported by the facts. Uh, Kerry has worked at pretty tirelessly on this issue, and he has acknowledged publicly that uh, there needs to be a political situation right. at some point. So if we, get, if we get through A, we might get to B, and we might get to C, and there might be some real progress here, and the United States may, uh, well avoid uh, using cruise missiles uh, against uh, the Assad government, which I think w w would be the ideal solution. 
Yeah, because uh, if it comes to the point where the United States does feel compelled to use such weapons, uh, that may succeed on one level of sending a message or perhaps punishing possible perpetrators. Uh, but it also complicates uh, the situation and can be interpreted uh, in a number of different ways by people who actually live in the region. And one other note, uh, for the record, historically, the Republican Party, when uh, George Bush uh, and Karl Rove orchestrated a congressional vote uh, surrounding the 2002 congressional elections to get the, quote, congressional approval, virtually no Republicans voted no. Uh, there were only six in the House. Two of them were defeated, by the way, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, congressional elections of 2002. One of them was Rand Paul. And in the Senate, the only no vote was actually Lincoln Chafee, who uh, had essentially switched parties anyway. Mm. He had become an independent uh, and is now the governor of Rhode Island. Uh, and I think I read recently that he's not even running for re-election. So uh, the Republican Party, I think, has to explain this contradiction in their their military uh, thinking in the region, and it's uh, been very interesting to hear how quiet the neoconservatives have been. But that's just it, really, isn't it? They don't explain. They never explain. Yeah. They uh, assert, uh, they argue, they posit, uh, but rarely do they explain because a rational explanation is not usually going to be adequate to uh, <laughs> summarize their motives. <clears throat> which are usually sort of secret or hidden. And, of course, the Iraq uh, war, uh, as, a, as a financial disaster for the uh, U.S. Treasury, um, has still not been acknowledged by any of these uh, chicken hawks in the Republican Party who now oppose uh, the war and the, the, the military uh, action that the Obama administration contemplated um, when there actually has been evidence of weapons of mass destruction yeah. as opposed to fictional well, ass yeah. assertions of weapons of mass destruction. But yeah, the neoconservatives uh, have uh, asserted that our involvement in Iraq would, quote, re uh, remake the region. Well, we know what's going on in the region. There's pretty much war going on from uh, Algeria yeah. to Afghanistan. Right. If by remake they meant uh, unravel, yeah. uh, deconstruct, <clears throat> that's pretty much all that's happened. Um, and those Republicans who, uh, you know, complain about, oh, we don't want boots on the ground. Uh, this is going to uh, weaken the armed uh, uh, forces of, of the United States uh, had no problem with uh, running the uh, same armed forces into the ground under the W administration with the uh, forced recalls of soldiers who were uh, forced to do multiple tours of duty yeah. uh, to great damage to their minds, bodies and uh, families, economic well-being. And we know this because there are now more suicide deaths in the American military per year than actual deaths in combat. Yep, that uh, is a pretty damning statement. Pretty damning statement and um, is further evidence that the neoconservative silence, because uh, where have they been on the Syrian debate? Uh, nowhere to be found much. Uh, a few of them have critiqued Obama from the right, claiming that, we actually do need to put boots on the ground, but I, I think that Obama and Kerry explained quite uh, effectively why that was not going to happen, nor why should it. Uh, as for uh, the budget situation involving the Republican Party, they are breathing a sigh of relief that they didn't have to take a vote on this uh, on this issue. Mm. Uh, 
Remember that in the Iraq war, three-fifths of the Democrats voted in the House uh, and, uh, and half in the Senate voted against military action. So a policy of non-intervention would have remained consistent with their position. It's the flip-flopping that's troubling. And uh, I think that you can make an argument. I was opposed to the war in Iraq, Carl Levin. For instance, our retiring Michigan senator voted no. Michigan, in fact, had the distinction of being one of two states in which both senators voted right. no, uh, as did Debbie Stabenow. <laughs> Actually, her name is Stabenow, but... Now she says no. To now work. she's Debbie Stabenow. Good for her. Uh, the Iraq uh, war was a flawed concept from the beginning, and the Republicans never answered the effective rhetorical... Uh, editorial that Brent Scowcroft put in the Wall Street Journal, what are we going to do when the Shiites win? Right. Uh, that question has yet to be answered by the neoconservatives in Iraq, and that policy has been a trillion-dollar disaster at the very least uh, and is ongoing. There's actually been an, an upswing in sectarian violence in Iraq in recent weeks uh, to the tune of a 1000 a month. Yep. In fact, you can almost make an argument there are as many people dying in Iraq as there are in Syria at the moment. Um, <clears throat> stay tuned for uh, developments on Syria. Now, it's kind of interesting that uh, <clears throat> on the day that Obama you know, gives a speech one night about possible war, explaining his policy, etc., the next day he's commem commemorating 9-11. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting to note that on that particular day, that was the 40th anniversary of the Chilean coup. That's right. Also a 9-11 uh, event. A 9-11 event involving uh, Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger and the good people of ITT. And the most recent edition of The Nation magazine, uh, which, by the way, uh, they commend the vote on Syria, uh, in which they basically assert that it's... Uh, a quote, democracy prevailed over war, essentially. There is an article by Peter Kornblue, um, who operates out of the so-called National Archive. Uh, this is a letter from Chile, 40 years after the coup. And Peter Kornblue wrote an interesting, or published an interesting book in 2003 called The Pinochet File, the Declassified Dossier on Atrocity and Accountability that was published by the National uh, Security Archive, uh, where he works. And uh, this is a well worth looking at, uh, talking about the uh, atrocities and accountability. I'll just read from the one of the final paragraphs here, because it involves the uh, <clears throat> machinations of Kissinger and Richard Nixon. Of course, what's interesting about the Pinochet file book, it's a thick volume with declassified CIA and ambassadorial uh, exchanges that went on for several years. Uh, the United States uh, policy under Nixon was to support um, political parties opposed to Allende uh, in Chile in the, those various elections that were occurring. Corn Blue in the most recent nation, the September 23rd edition, which I think I got today, so it's probably not even out on the newsstands yet, writes, history will always associate the United States with the dark events in Chile 40 years ago. Indeed, just one day before Horman was seized, President Nixon 
called his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger, to get an update on the coup. The Chilean thing is being consolidated, Kissinger said, according to the declassified transcript of their conversation. They discussed the U.S. role. Well, we didn't, as you know, our hand doesn't show in this one, the president noted. We didn't do it, Kissinger responded, referring to direct involvement of U.S. involvement in the coup. I mean, we helped them. Then there's an omitted word. Created the conditions as great as possible. That's right, the president said. The two most powerful officials in Washington then commiserated over whether Nixon called this crap from the liberals in the media about the overthrow of a democratically elected government. In the Eisenhower period, Kissinger assured the president, we would be heroes. Well, and that's Nixon was always dreaming of living in the past as a hero. Uh, Kissinger are only too willing to serve faithfully. Uh, of course, Allende himself, it's important to remember, was not a communist. Uh, he and had, Charles Horman, by the way, was a was a, a U.S. citizen that had been um, killed by the uh, dictatorship. Right. Uh, well, thousands of people were were rounded yeah. up and killed. There were people. That's where the the phrase "the disappeared" originally was used. People were just abducted, and a lot of people were thrown out of helicopters over the ocean. Uh, entire stadiums, football stadiums, filled with uh, prisoners, uh, mostly young people, college people, active people, progressive people. Uh, it was a military coup, and. Uh, the, the famous quote on, uh, it's a stomach-turning uh, phrase, but uh, Kissinger's bizarre assertion that we can't let a country go communist just to the uh, ineptitude of its own people. Yeah, the irresponsibility. Irresponsibility <laughs> of their own people. It's like, wow, what an arrogant and self-aggrandizing statement. Uh, we are the gods of the world. Uh, it is our playing field. Shocking and appalling. And to this day, uh, Kissinger cannot travel to certain countries. Uh, you won't see him go to France, for example, because France has an extradition treaty with the current Chilean government. And if Kissinger goes to France, he will be extradited to Chile, where he is wanted. Yes, indeed. Um, wanted, but <laughs> not loved, not desired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he Our greatest living war criminal is uh, really how I like to call Henry Kissinger. Well, certainly. And uh, the, the the book uh, by Peter Cornblue is well worth looking at. Of course, <laughs> needless to say, many of the so-called declassified documents have heavy blackout um, spots. So uh, it's almost a farce reading them, but you get an idea of the sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge approach that uh, many of the exchanges between uh, William Colby, who at the time was actually in charge of the CIA, and Kissinger were, uh, were about some of the, well, let's not discuss this, but you remember those meetings we had back in 1970, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, New York mayoral race, another fascinating event of this past week. Uh, Bill de Blasio uh, appears not to 
require a runoff in this uh, mayoral race. And this is a, I think, a stunning victory in a relatively strong Democratic field. Uh, Christine Quinn, of course, fell like water uh, from the sky uh, following <laughs> her endorsement by all of the major New York newspapers. Quinn, of course, uh, was portrayed, I think, effectively by her opponents as sort of a toady of the ever-popular Mayor Bloomberg, who seems to be leaving uh, office on a low note in the uh, city of New York. Well, well, his stance on uh, handguns is, I think, admired and some of the to be admired. And some of the things he said about that subject are really, you know, well thought out statements. His bizarre desire to outlaw big gulp drinks and soda pop uh, excess consumption. There's just no way that's politically feasible. I mean, it yeah. might be good health policy to uh, make it so that people are discouraged in some way or another from consuming too much sugar but damn it people want to drink two gallons of mountain dew you gotta let them you gotta let them but i i think that there are some legitimate questions about whether taxpayers should uh, pick up the Medi medicaid tab on some of those uh two gallon uh right and that's how you make them pay yeah. but you don't do it at the point of you don't make it impossible for people to even right. order one right the, the 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 size of the drink at the supermarket or the fast food joint or whatever yeah that that was impractical and of course it's interesting that bloomberg uh was in the news as well because of the the recall in this uh of the state legislators in colorado over oh. over the gun bill so let's give a brain damage award out to uh, the recall of, of those legislators they of course took courageous stands against guns they were recalled the nra cherry-picked uh some weaker members of the coalition and uh, needless to say, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of outside money went into those recall races, of where, of course, turnout was quite light. Uh, the gun policy remains on the books, however. So uh, politicians uh, can sometimes make a courageous stand on an issue of public policy, and we don't need to talk about the events that happened today in Washington, but... It's pretty much par for the course. Another mass shooting. Well, in another one of those situations like the Fort Hood where the argument that the NRA makes that, well, if everyone had a gun, shooters could be eliminated. But surely someone somewhere on a naval base had a gun yeah. and could have, should have, would, but didn't. Uh, so that argument just uh, so bizarre. So we'll give a brain damage award out to them. And, of course, they are able to portray uh, Bloomberg's involvement in these gun control uh, um, races because it is established that he spent $350,000 of his own mm -hmm. money uh, supporting the candidates that were being recalled. Uh, he's got that right. But, uh, of course, then the issue becomes Mayor Bloomberg and his other uh, interesting nanny state agenda items. So it's fascinating that Quinn did so poorly uh, in the mayoral race and that uh, de Blasio did so well. Uh, he probably will go down in history because I'm presuming he's going to get elected in a relatively Democratic-leaning New York uh, City as perhaps the most liberal uh, mayor in the history of New York. So uh, we may see some uh, very interesting changes in policy in New York. Uh, the mayor of New York has a lot of power. Uh, there's an old joke that it's the second most difficult job in the world. 
which is, of course, a reference to the fact that the president has the most difficult job. Right. Uh, because there are a lot of moving parts uh, in city politics in New York City. I'd like to thank